previously on the Super Top Podcast. I'm Podrick in Vancouver. And I'm Oshin in Killarney. Killarney? Killarney. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in Ireland anyway. Yeah, I arrived back at the weekend and I'm at the Ull Conference, which has been on for the past couple of days here. Uh, yeah, how was it this year? You've been every year? Yeah. Okay. It's never been about like coming to like learn code or to learn specific even design practices or whatever. It's more, it's broader than that, I guess. Hmm. It's more about like how we approach making things. And now we join that discussion again for part two. Um, I have all these notes in front of me. There was, there was actually one of the lightning talks was... Um, was by Ben, let me see, BSN Design on Twitter, Ben Norris, um, who like does these like sketch notes, okay, uh, which like more like visual notes from conferences that he started by doing them on like with pen and paper, and I think he does them now with like he does them now with uh, Apple Pencil on his iPad Pro, um, but he was talking about how like just the act of like doing those sketch notes, it just helps him to focus like a lot more on like what's being said in front of him. Like, hmm. like there's like he's listening but he's also like drawing at the same time um, so like his brain is kind of kept going in those two directions and it kind of helps him like retain a lot more of what he hears right um, when I had a chat with him last night after dinner about how like I felt like the act of like producing this podcast or knowing that we were going to record this podcast like kind of did the same thing for me where I like started writing all these notes that we might not get to in the end but at least I I wrote them and I, f- I felt like I was getting a lot more personally from the talks because I was I had that extra level of like attention and writing stuff at the same time um and having this feeling of like oh I know I'm definitely going to like come back and think about this and talk about it later yeah no it it's funny, I see like conference organizers retweeting those sketch notes as like, uh, I guess that they, they look really nice usually when they're done well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it really reminds me of like when you're in university and you like highlight the book and then make notes and then make notes of the notes. And then your one friend who hasn't done any study is like, oh, Podrick, can I have your notes? And they don't get from the notes what I got from them because like making them in the first place is what makes you remember the stuff, not so much having it written down. So you can look at it later. Yeah, that was Ben. Like Ben was really like advocating for that in his um, in his lightning talk that we should all be doing it. I think he literally had us like take out our phones and start trying to do it at one point. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing for me about looking back over Ben's notes as someone who was there in the room is that like because they're so concise, I can look at like one screen of notes and rebuild, I guess, the ideas that went were going through my mind at the time. Yeah, that's cool. Because with so much stuff on, you'll definitely forget things. Yeah, I feel like in the past, I've like I've often gone to conferences and forgotten stuff far too quickly. So, um, anything that can help. <laughs> um, but yeah, the stuff that you said about like when you when you give your school book um, condensed notes to to your friend and they don't make any sense. I mean, I definitely think I can see that happening with like somebody's with like any form of notes, like even the sketch notes. Um, Ben posted his sketch notes from the talk that that Horace Horace the Jew did. So Horace like did this whole presentation about like comparing the like the revenue and the profitability of like the top five tech companies. So you got Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Amazon. Um, it was actually the talk that I found like the most difficult to take notes on because it was so visual um like, oh yeah so like if if you if you're listening to this and you haven't seen a horror stead you 
presentation. He has his own app that I think he helped, maybe helped build. I don't know. He's the only person I've seen using it. And he has like these spreadsheets that look like number spreadsheets that he's like animating as he talks. He's like a DJ on a iPad, except it's charts about revenue. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> like, so, because like, so he started talking about Google, um, and then like he swipes over, and his Microsoft is on the same. It's like it's all on the same scale. Like it's like basically this one giant chart that includes like all this data from like these five companies, and like broken down into like the different areas that they make their profitability, the different areas that they make their money in. Like say Apple's broken down into iPhone and iPad, for example, and well, and a lot more. Um, so like, there's so many levels visual levels here that it's like taking the like me trying to write down some notes with pen and paper I just felt like there, there wasn't enough that I could write okay. <laughs> uh, to like encapsulate like the depth of like everything that well Horace like talks so clear like so well about the stuff but as well the like the visual side of it is communicating so much that it's very hard to like get it down into words immediately um, so Ben did a really nice job of like capturing this and like I look at his notes here and, and I it's like okay these are the kind of notes that I didn't manage to take because I was too focused on words um, whereas his are a lot more visual but at the same time I've seen tweet at, at least one tweet where like this this graph was essentially misunderstood and like the point of what Horace was saying was um, was misconstrued because the, like the person wasn't wasn't there and didn't hear to talk yeah that makes sense and like people love to argue on Twitter as well. So like, <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> so the point I guess that Horace made mainly in his in his uh, his talk was when you see like you see Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon here side by side, and Apple's revenue is like so. I mean, Apple's charts basically dwarf the other ones. Um, but the final ratio the profit to earnings ratio i think it's called pe ratio i think it's the price to earnings ratio that's yes that's it because it's the price of the share yeah the price of the share so it's essentially like okay based on how much money this company makes like how much are you willing to pay for a share of it hmm. um so say google's is 28.6 um and i think that essentially means uh that okay if you wanted to buy google you have to pay like 28.6 times what they make in a year. Yeah, I think that that's about right. And Apple's is about half that, for example, and Facebook is like 60, and Amazon is like 181 or something. <laughs> um, Horace's point essentially was that like it, a lot of it comes down to like the nature of like these businesses and what they're doing. Um, how, the way Horace described it was that like Apple pursues greatness as like a, as a business strategy, that like everything is focused on this idea of we are going to create like great products, like great hit products. Um, and that there's a volatility there because it's always, well, what's the next great hit product going to be? Right. So, so but somebody on Twitter had like misread this, this notes and saw that like, okay, there's a graph in the middle that says Apple makes millions of money. And there's a line at the bottom that says Apple pursues greatness. And that's scary. Therefore you are saying that like, making lots of revenue is like what that's what's greatness is which this guy takes issue with and it's like okay that was not the point at all <laughs> oh right yeah that took a few minutes to explain the background of what all of it was and so it's going to be harder to like fully sum that up in a note like it's a it's a lossy compression i guess god kill me <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, even I've, I mean, I've struggled to get through it on a podcast. You need to just go chat to Horace, find Horace somewhere. Yeah, I remember his talks being really polished and like really clear what his points were. So another angle, I guess, on that idea of like Apple pursuing greatness and like creating great polished products. Um, so David Smith did the opening keynote of the of the conference, where he talked about the idea of like of, of copying the right things that. If you want to like emulate certain companies or be at Apple or, or whoever that like you need to like make sure that you pick the like the right parts to emulate um, and that like what's right for Apple is not necessarily what's going to be right for you. David's angle on it was around that like when he first started with making apps that he had this idea that like the thing to copy from Apple is this really slick polished like attention to detail that they put into their software that that's what he was going to have to do to like to be successful um and that he tried that for a while and then like like realized more over time that like to become successful like in his own way like where like as it like just himself in his basement making apps um that he was going to have to try different business models that potentially apple wouldn't like advertising um i guess his point was essentially that to look at Apple or to look at companies that you respect um, and to think that not to necessarily just like blindly try to do something because that's the way Apple would do it. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're like imitating somebody else in that way that you're in some ways you can end up like limiting your own decisions because you're trying to, you're just like making the same decisions that you think somebody else would instead of like managing yourself to like evaluate your own situation and figure out exactly what you need to do. Um so like David's conclusion in his own business, which he's he's blogged about before, was essentially that he needed to like to turn to ads, that ads was what was going to help him like keep his revenue sustainable. Right. What did you think of that in terms of Supertop? The idea of like making a super polished app. Like I don't feel like I do that just or that I aim to do that just to emulate um apple i feel like it's like there's something more ingrained in me that's like that's just what i feel like i need to do that's like that's what i need to put out into the world yeah you like apple because that's that's already who you are Mm. it's not that you're copying apple because they're successful yeah 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 it was never like we thought like oh yeah let's do it like this because that's what's going to be successful in an earlier episode of our podcast, we talked about when dealing with support stuff, and I think one of my ideas was that people expect an Apple-like standard of customer service from app developers. So, like, there's definitely if you copy all the quality stuff, you bring along the expectations of like all everything else it means to have a quality product, mm. and then that sometimes you bump up against the limitations um, of operating at such a small scale. But like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that his apps have worked for him and that ads have worked, but it's it wouldn't get me out of bed in the morning, the idea of getting up to make an app full of ads. If we blindly copied Apple, we'd have ads at the top of our search screen now, anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that. <laughs> There's actually kind of a team that emerged like in a few different talks and even a couple of the feature presentations as well, like around the idea of like how how we make our decisions, like our business decisions, our life decisions. Um, Max from Ulysses app actually Max Sieleman he had a talk as well about <laughs> it started with this moment that he had on a plane when he was coming back from a conference he was sitting on his plane looking out 
out the window at the wing and he just he introduced this really well and he's like i this thought just occurred to me i have no clue what i am doing <laughs> <laughs> and he was leaving leaving this conference where he had this idea that had gotten this impression that like all the people who were standing on stage telling like their stories and like this is how i got here and um some notion, some kind of like despair that settled in. <laughs> um, but because he was there on his plane and he was still flying back, he was flying back to Germany um, and he didn't have anything else to do just except to sit there and look out the window like that he managed to like move past that and get from like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing to, okay, well, but I've been doing it for 12 years. I must know something. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he really went into, into in his talk was like the idea of like trying to like formalize rules i guess around like how they make their decisions so that like they don't have to like keep making them again and again (laughs) as in like Hmm. i won't try to repeat his talk i guess i need to like get back to like what like how i guess does this apply maybe to us for example but it was all about like having like really detailed discussions around things and then making decisions and in his mind it was like once you make the decision stick with it like carry on and like see it through and then like reevaluate it later and iterate back. Hmm. Um, like, I guess one thing that I was wanted to talk to you like more about, like with, whether we can do it here on the podcast or we can do it later. Well, let's see. <laughs> um, but like, how do you feel about like, like how we make decisions? So like, do you think we manage to like consider all sides of things? Like we manage, we do talk a lot I guess it depends what kinds of decisions, like major product decisions we talk through endlessly. Sometimes we come to a conclusion, but then it's not something we can act on right away. And three months later, we have to have the same conversation all over again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember we did talk about adding ads to Castro 2 way back at the start of the development of it. um, And it was almost going to be like a built-in thing from from day one. Uh, But... And I think we had convinced ourselves that we had to do that because the app store wouldn't work out. And then that decision just kind of hung there because we weren't releasing yet and we didn't, there was no action to take on it. And then by the time we came back to it, I think we reevaluated it differently. Do you feel like that's a conversation that's completely over or like as if like it's a conversation that we're going to like have like again and again every year? (laughs) Well, I think when there's a crisis for like a, a big opportunity like a launch mm. like if we if, our, if we make no money we'll have to decide okay do i want to do we want to change the model and try and do ads or some other idea that can make money um but that'll only arise if the sales go down enough that it's like a choice between stopping working on castro or try something else mm. one thing that's in my head and i'm not saying ads are like never something we'd ever do but one thing that's in my head is that i think you should have some ideas of um, of your own standards and your own expectations. Yeah, yeah. And I do think there's a line somewhere where like, oh, now you have to sell drugs to teenagers to be successful in the app store. <laughs> like there's like degrees of like, how how far are you going to chase it basically? Mm. Well, like so Overcast, uh, another podcast app you might've heard of uh, has ads in the free version and then it has a paid subscription part. And it seems to me from the outside, like having the ads there has driven up people like becoming full members or subscribers or whatever, rather than the ads themselves being the really valuable part. Mm. So that's kind of interesting as like a, 
the actual premium users will never see it and the ads aren't they're more a stick than a it's more like a carrot and a stick than a like that's the profitable way to go i never understood i don't understand the carrot and stick metaphor i'm i'm oh it's like a <laughs> i think it's like you know the way we all have experiences with donkeys <laughs> in modern life <laughs> it's like you can give a donkey a carrot to make it come somewhere okay like as a treat or you can like beat the shit out of it with a stick i guess <laughs> <laughs> anytime i hear that metaphor i keep picturing uh, like a carrot that's like tied to the end of a stick and you're like dangling it <laughs> oh yeah right so you can like you're like here here but i guess then if they don't eat the carrot then you just hit them with the stick anyhow yeah so <laughs> <laughs> we can cut out all the talk around this and just get to the good stuff in the in the edit just just carrot and stick metaphor explanations i think we're just going to call this episode carrot and stick and it's going to be about 45 <laughs> seconds long <laughs> <laughs> sounds good um so yeah, from that point of view, it's kind of interesting because it's still, the interests of Marco developing Overcast are still mostly aligned with keeping his subscribers happy rather than going towards like, oh, I need my ads to be successful and my customers, well, I don't really have customers. It's just free users really. Um, like if the incentives are all pointing one pointing towards advertisers, then inevitably the next step is to start gathering better analytics. Um tracking people doing all that fun stuff which is maybe where everything's going anyway and it might be better to just like accept it and leapfrog the inevitable competition and just do it but you can have your own personal standards and say look you guys are going somewhere i don't want to go mm. so you know go crazy i'll be over here making my 200 dollar <laughs> three user podcast app. <laughs> well yeah so the bigger question was is that is that conversation about advertising over probably not I think it'll always it's always going to be on the table. My bias is totally against it, and I don't want to do it. And if I can live my life without ever being part of advertising, except for the nuisance committee, <laughs> <laughs> if I can. <laughs> That's good. No, if we can do our apps at least without having any advertising in them, maybe our podcast can have ads, and we can have a nice double standard there. Um, Speaking of bias. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the exact bias that you're mentioning, but like, so there was another feature presentation by Crystal Yan, which was was called Bias Uncovered. And it was all about like, essentially like analyzing or being aware of like different biases that we all have, like when it comes to making decisions. Um, mm-hmm. Crystal went through a presentation describing like a few different biases, which are, which were like anchoring bias, which is this notion where... If if there's a cheap and expensive and a middle option, that like the cheap and the expensive option help like guide people towards the middle. Mm-hmm. The first thing that that brought to mind to me was like the unread pricing that we had when we when we switched over. Yeah, I remember reading that in my marketing books. <laughs> then there's the idea, I guess, of confirmation bias. I mean, there's there's lots of biases, but these are like the three ones that she went into. So it was like confirmation bias, where like you just keep reading things that confirm the opinions that you already have because it makes you feel better about yourself, mm. like our future Siri podcast will do. Um, that's the conspiracy theory one too right like you get an idea in your head that like this election is rigged or 9-11 blah 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 and then you go and search for only evidence that confirms that yeah yeah totally yeah the point i guess of of the presentation was just like to help us like realize and make sure that we we're not always like entirely 
like completely rational in our decisions that we make that like we bring our own biases to them in, in advance mm-hmm. so like they whether that's our anti-advertising biases or or whatever else <laughs> Tara Van Ziel had which was the final uh, presentation that had a a nice one about like how irrational are your how irrational are your decisions like for example she had this table with a nonsensical a nonsensical vote on it there was two glass jars and above one was a picture of Donald Trump and above the other was a picture of Michael D Higgins mm-hmm. who is the president of Ireland everyone um, will know that okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> um and then there was pieces of paper in the middle okay but there was no clear like call to action or like you should do this or even like what even this decision is um and at the start there wasn't like the paper was just sitting there and there was like empty empty glasses beside it and like nobody did anything like nobody picked up a piece of paper and put it in one of the glasses once she then would put some paper in one of the glasses and then people would start picking up paper and putting it in oh right um (laughs) because other people had done it before Hmm. but because the decision wasn't necessarily like this rational like one that you would have an you could have an actual opinion on because there wasn't even a clear question posed um people would lean towards like just putting their piece of paper like where most other people had already put their paper okay (laughs) um or the other example that she used in in a discussion not in the in the presentation itself but the other example she used was like in uh tesco's they have when you like which is a supermarket chain when you when you go through the checkout you get a blue token and you can and then there's three charities there's three options for like which charity you want to give your blue token to which is just symbolic of like i guess a vote for like who tesco should donate money to that month um and she says that like every time she goes through it's just all like always one is completely full and the others like are really small and it's not so much down to in this theory at least it's not so much down to like the merits of like the individual charities just but just that people are more more willing to do something that other people are already doing yeah that's pretty interesting do you think tesco awards the votes proportionally or is there like an electoral college system (laughs) (laughs) i've yeah i've I've no idea (laughs) but i'm sure it's rigged it's definitely rigged i mentioned earlier that laura savino had that talk at at Lairs last year where she also went into the some of the similar accessibility stuff that was covered in the feature here um mm-hmm. but she did a she did a talk in the in the builders section at Ool as well um about the idea of essentially not being afraid to fail and I don't mean like to ultimately fail but as in like to fail in a safe way in a safe and controlled way and like to use that as like a as a mechanism for like getting you moving in the first place Hmm. um that's a little bit abstract maybe the way i just described it she started with like a really concrete um a really concrete example of this that's not related to software at all but where um so somebody is standing at the bottom of a cliff and somebody else is climbing up the cliff but and they you know they're connected with the harness and the person at the bottom is like holding them keeping them safe okay um it's the first time that this person has ever done rock climbing their arms are getting tired and they're climbing up and down not up and down just up um but they're they've like fallen a few times but the person has caught them and they're back on but they're getting tired and then they say um that's it i'm done i don't want to 
I don't want to do it anymore. Like, just please, like, just let me. I'm just going to come down. I'm not. I don't. I'm not worried about getting to the top. Um, and the person at the bottom says, "Fine, no problem. Uh, just, just fall one more time, and, and, and then you can come down." Oh, like keep going until you fall one more time. Keep going until you fall one more time, and like, and then, hmm. then we'll end the thing. Um, then Laura left us in suspense, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> so, so the guy gets to the top of the cliff. This was an actual personal story, not just a like a. This is a personal story that happened to her, um, that that has kind of stuck with her and and made her like think about some of like the work that she does like in different ways. Um, like the most concrete example that I can think of right now from. Her own experiences, like, which was very meta for a conference talk, but was like each time that she like plans a conference talk or like that she sits down to like write one for the first time, like she has this voice in her head saying, you don't know what you're doing. What you're about to write is is going to be crap and nobody's ever going to want to hear it. Um, that can obviously <laughs> make it difficult for you to start. Mm. Like what, what she ends up giving herself permission to do, like instead of letting that voice put her off, like she agrees with it. And she says, yeah, you're right. I am about to write a few pages of stuff that nobody is ever going to want to hear um, and that I am never going to stand up in front of people and tell them, but I'm going to write it. Mm-hmm. And then she writes it and then she goes back over it and critiques it and she's hard on herself and she says, yeah, that was crap. That part was terrible. What were you even thinking here? Uh, This bit? Oh, yeah, that part's not so bad. (laughs) And and like build, build from there. There's a book by Anna Lamont that I read. It's about writing called, um, I think it's called Bird by Bird. Okay, this is wonderful. Laura quoted that book in her speech. Okay, yeah, this just reminded me of it. Um, I was, I said I read it, but that was an unfinished sentence. <laughs> I read the first, the first chapter of it. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, that's that idea of making a crappy first draft and just giving yourself permission to write the worst, terrible stuff ever hmm. as the first version. That that was a big thing in that. Yeah, Laura actually brought like a couple of extra copies of that book with her to Ul and said that she was insisting that she wasn't going to bring them back home and anybody who wanted to like. She was recommending people read it. Uh, it's on my shelf here, so I'm going to put it on my desk so I see it and actually read it. Uh, okay, now I'm going to see it and feel bad that I haven't read it. So <laughs> maybe that'll turn into something. I have this other line in my notes here, which I can't quite remember exactly how it fit into the rest of the talk precisely, but it... Um, Bird internet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but this part definitely makes is makes more sense a lot of sense in the software world but I think it was around the idea of like shedding the idea of shipping perfection like that like I'm going to write an app that like never crashes and there won't be any bugs. So like I, <laughs> the line that I have written down here is like optimization is choosing which flaws like are worth fixing and which ones you're going to ship. <laughs> yeah, so I struggle with that one. The example that she did use, which I know like I have definitely felt this or I think we've even talked about stuff like this before is like, like each, you start a new project and it's like, okay, this one like okay the last project yeah that one got a little bit of control after a while and like <laughs> um this new one is never going to turn into a mess and like we all say it at the start of all our projects but i mean like it, if you if you look backwards it's like it's 
it's not going to happen, surely. <laughs> yeah. But as you explained that, I was just thinking, no, with Castro 2, we didn't spend enough time on the design part at the start and make the hard decisions and then implement them. We like let ourselves like go back and forth too much during the project. Mm. So next time, it's going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I still, I know it's wrong and I know it'll be a mess and that like we'll change our minds a bunch of times. Um, I think we can do better. Maybe that's the, that's the point is to just try to, like, obviously you try to learn the lessons and get better at these things, but like, don't, don't get disheartened the first day that it starts getting messy. Yeah. There's so many different competing ideas here around like making decisions and sticking with them and failing and not being afraid to fail and it's never going to be right anyway i don't know it's all a bit of a it's a little bit of a whirlwind that's it's it's nice those conferences are always nice for stepping back and like i don't know reviewing your last year or two and not just always thinking about the next few weeks in terms of like my last year or two where i've we talked about how like i've been traveling around um a good bit and like living in in different cities Mm -hmm. um there was a talk from Clay Smith about um, about building a, a platform called Akita, which is a customer management platform. I think which they haven't they have some customers, but they're not making revenue yet. But they've been building it for the past few years. But the point of his talk wasn't necessarily like a technological one, or a it was more about like he see. I think the line was like, oh, it's not about why or how; it's about where <laughs> they made it. Um, so they didn't have a lot of funding. Um, they knew that they had a product ahead of them that was going to take a long time to develop. Um, so Dave himself and his girlfriend, I think, or his wife, uh, went and started house sitting, pet sitting around the world. Oh wow! <laughs> so like I wrote down like a bunch of the places where they had gone, like like uh, Mexico and Hawaii, Edinburgh, the Dardogne in France, Shirkin Island in Cork, Lille in France. And I think they're in Porto in Portugal at the moment. Clay's focus for this talk was that like being able to like lead that, that kind of lifestyle is something that gave them the the extra time and freedom that they needed to like develop their platform before it started making revenue and and to to get it to a point now where they're where they're ready to like launch it as a paying service. So it's pretty cool. Wow, that's so cool. Um... Because then, I mean, in your actual life, you're traveling around too and seeing new places. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> I I never intentionally, like, set out to, like, live in different countries just, like, with financial motivations. But, like, throughout the development of Castro 2, um, I mean, it was definitely, like, there was a good period there where we, like, where revenue was very low mm-hmm. leading up to the launch of Castro 2. Um, and... Me being in Asia or Eastern Europe um, definitely helped like relieve some of the pressures of that. Yeah, because like if you'd been in Dublin renting a place and paying for groceries there and yeah, like it would have been a lot more money than the places that you happened to go. I remember you saying that, was it in the Ukraine, your phone bill was like infinite data and like $5 a month or something? Yeah, something pretty close to that. Yeah, like that's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Are you thinking of getting moving again in the new year or what's the plan? It's, I'm not really sure. I'm sure I probably will. Um, I, I had this feeling this morning when I woke up of like, 
because I came back to Ireland for the for the conference. Um, I want to be here for Christmas, but I hadn't put too much thought yet into like what I was going to do straight after the conference. Um, mm-hmm. And then I woke up this morning and realized the conference was over, and I was like, "All right, now <laughs> here I am. We'll see. <laughs> I'll probably go spend some time in Dublin at least." Oh, there was one other talk in the in the in the builder section that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, by uh, Stephen Coyle did this really nice short talk about basically compare. He's a composer, mm-hmm. um, and he composes he composes like classical music for I think for choirs or for orchestras. Um, but basically, essentially, to be performed by big groups. And he had recently started learning Swift to like to build a a music app that he um that he wanted to develop um and it was kind of a really nice analogy that he he made a really nice analogy like between the act of composing music and like writing a computer software oh. <laughs> a computer software and <laughs> and writing software where he was just essentially that like the musical notation is like the code that you're writing and then it has to be performed by the, by the performers, um, so that's like you compiling it, <laughs> and then you see, and then you see the results. Um, I, there's a few different places where that analogy goes, but like the most interesting part, I think, for me was the idea of like this this feedback loop, um, where you know you get so used to like like writing a few lines of code and then compiling it and seeing and then maybe making a small change and compiling and seeing it um, whereas he was describing like when he like writes a piece of music to be performed. Like he has like two practice sessions with the with the musicians before like the the actual thing, and he's making edits and like trying to get it right in between all of those. Like as if imagine if you like had to like you write all this, and then you get like one compile, you take a load of notes like oh, like what bugs were there? Yeah, wow. Uh, what need what needs to be fixed? What didn't feel quite right? Mm-hmm. Then you go back try and make all those fixes, and then you have one more of session of that. And you'd go again on another round, and then it's like, okay, now it has to be... Ship it. Now now we ship it. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that's one of the reasons why programming is so satisfying, is you get to see the results right away. Like, so many jobs, you just do stuff, and you know, you don't know if it, if it worked. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I missed a few talks here, but I think we've probably been talking for a super long time. Yeah, super, <laughs> super top long time. Um, yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah, it's been a really, it was a really super, uh, okay, I'll stop saying super, but it was a great duel this year. Yeah, no, I, I'm jealous that you got to got to do all that. Okay, I'm Moshin, I'm on Twitter at Prendio2, that's P-R-E-N-D-I-O-2. I'm Podrig, I'm also on Twitter at, at Podrig, P-A-D-R-A-I-G. We'll be back soon for more super top shenanigans. And please go and write a review for us in the podcast section of iTunes. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. It's fine. We're, we're taking a little Hi, break. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm super top wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's going at the end of the podcast. <laughs>